Welcome to another podcast of this new podcast series by the program in International Nutrition at Cornell University or as we like to call it the PIN podcast. In this series trainings in PIN interview leaders and rising stars in the field of international nutrition and global health. Today on our podcast our interviewers include one postdoc and two graduate students in PIN including myself. Namaste, I'm Nidhi Hola a todos, yo soy Elizabeth. Hello, I'm Sam. And our guest for today is Dr. Elizabeth Lambertini, who is a senior research scientist with more than 10 years of applied experimental and analytical experience in food and water safety, health risk modeling, and quantitative decision analysis in food and health systems. At the Global Alliance for Improved Nutrition, GAIN, they oversee the research activities of the Eat Safe program. and provide food safety expertise to the organization. So to start us off, could you tell us a little bit about your role with Gain and describe what a typical day in your life looks like? Great. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm Elizabeth Alamertini, so I'm a senior um, research scientist uh, in food safety at Gain. And I'm fairly new at Gain. I joined about a year ago. Uh, my background before then was mostly academic. I had a um, research and then a research faculty position um, in, in food safety and public health. Uh, and then I spent about four years in, at RTI, which is the uh, organization that um, does independent research. So it's not in a university, but it's focused on, on research as a, as a PI. And I joined GAME because I really wanted to work more on international food safety uh, and work at the interface between the hard science, which is my background, and behavioral science. My work um, has been a lot about tools, quantitative tools to uh, make better decisions in food safety and public health. And I quickly realized that I can, we cannot do good decision if we don't account for behaviors and how people really make decisions, not just the rational side. So I'm really excited here to, to work more at that interface and also the interface between food safety and public health and nutrition. So my, my role here is um, as a, I oversee the, the research in particular of the Eat Safe project, uh, which is uh, a large food safety project that uh, aims to work uh, in informal markets in low and middle income countries and focusing a lot on consumer and the dynamic between consumers and vendors and how to uh, shift the needle on food safety. And we have a, a webinar coming up on that, so I'll, I'll leave the, the content to that time. Uh, in terms of my role, I, like, I coordinate and, and do research um, for, for It's Safe, and also I interface with the broader organization on uh, food safety matters. There are lots of projects in nutrition that have a food safety component that has not been developed at, at, to the maximum potential at this point. Uh, for example, GAIN has quite a bit of uh, projects on fortification, for example, oil fortification with vitamins. And there is a whole aspect on how to keep or increase food safety in those products as we either promote the product itself, like consuming more eggs, for example, or as we promote the fortified version of that product. So I think it's a mix of, it's the first time actually that I'm very focused on one program instead of having a collection of multiple things, but it's a very large program. So we, we're not getting bored. 
And a uh, typical day, I think as everyone now, we are a lot in front of Zoom and in front of, <laughs> it's a very computer oriented type of work. Uh, we have um, a lot of field data collection happening in the project. And uh, as part of the global research team, we, we do work with that and we will be in the field for part of the time, but in my role, I'm not uh, in the field all the time. So there is definitely a bit of separation between with me and the study settings. And I can tell you a little more about specific activities later on. Great, it's been really good to, uh, really interesting to hear about your career trajectory. Um, I was wondering, I had uh, two questions actually, if did you, and um, I may have missed this, but did you do field work during your PhD? And then also, did you consider any other career paths like traditional academia or anything else um, that you ended up not doing, obviously? Um, so yeah, I just wanted to know about that. Yeah, so field work and, and career. And um, to uh, put a little bit of context, I'm 11 years out of my PhD. So I, you know, I'm not arrived by any meaning of the, <laughs> of the word. Ask me again in 20 years, maybe I'll have a little more big picture advice. Um, but it was an interesting stage because I'm not early, transitioning from early career to, to mid career, if, if you um, have that distinction. So it, things are evolving. Um, but in terms of uh, field work, that is interesting question. So I did some, but not, um, was not full field work based. Uh, my PhD project was actually in the, was the WASH project um, in the US, uh, but I did it with the idea that it could be transferred, the methods could be transferred to other settings, and was looking at uh, viruses in groundwater, both the epidemiology, the microbiology, and the, and the risk uh, of, of that, not a lot of behavior at that point. Uh, so the field work was mostly collecting samples and visiting sites to, to understand what, what the settings are, interacting a little bit with the utilities and, and stakeholders. I think that was really valuable. And I did some site projects because um, this, my main project was you know, limited in, in what field work I could do and also in the international uh, learning that I could do. I found ways to do site projects uh, probably too many <laughs> in retrospect, <laughs> but I, I was like, I need to get all the learning done now. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't know if I can get it later. And to some extent, that was good. I'm glad I did it. I, I'm not sure how I slept in those years, but um, I did some smaller projects in Guatemala and in Bolivia, um, again, around public health and uh, food and water. And that got me I think it was very useful, even if it was like one month each uh, of field work and then, you know, about a year of the entire project. I, I think it was worth it and I would recommend doing that uh, if someone has a, a project that is not offering as much field work as, as needed. Uh, I think it gets harder to get that experience later on. I think a postdoc level is still great. You can just uh, move to, to another country and, and be fully immersed. Um, I think that's something to consider, uh, you know, also other life uh, decisions uh, matter. Uh, great if you can you know, bring the entire family to, <laughs> to the field and everyone is together and you can get that experience. Otherwise, there may be other constraints. But 
um, I think it's valuable. Uh, and even even small small experiences, I think, uh, count. Uh, they're not gonna, and it depends on the job, if um, the job really requires intimate knowledge of the culture uh, in a specific country, uh, you need to be there. <laughs> but yeah, don't, don't necessarily, you don't need to have your main thesis um, that is all in the field to develop field skills. And you know, just traveling is also very valuable. <laughs> and while traveling, maybe trying to, to still have your scientist hat on. And like, I, I don't know, I, in my holidays, I, I visited water treatment plants. <laughs> I'm not sure I recommend it to everyone, uh, but you know, uh, try to also make sure that you get exposure to the culture the, and the behaviors that matter for, for your field. And you visit, you know, some site, make connection and talk to people that are working on nutrition in, you know, Thailand, wherever you may, may be traveling. Yeah, no, I think that's those, those, I think those words connect a lot uh, with that because all of us are in, in, in international nutrition, of course, but we spend quite a bit of time in, in the field or we try to. Um, although, of course, right now we all have uh, restrictions in, in traveling. Um, but I, I wanted to follow up a little bit on that because um, you were mentioning about all these fields experiences and your, your PhD program being a little bit more science-based in terms of um, water and, and viruses and things like that. But now you're transitioning to more behavioral uh, science, so basic science and behavioral. So I was wondering how you connect those two? How do you manage to, to bring in all your experiences and knowledges uh, from your PhD or your, your you know, student trajectory, yeah. trajectory into this new, new role? Yeah, I realize I still have an answer. answer. Question number two from Samantha, so I'll weave it in with this one. Uh, my PhD was in environmental engineering, technically, so public health engineering, so very much uh, STEM. And there were actually people my colleagues, uh, that some were doing a combination between um, engineering, environmental health, and community organization, or other type of you know, department. Uh, it was either like a master PhD combo or just side projects with other departments that got that more behavioral community um, component. Um, I, I didn't do anything for months of getting a master, but I did, again, I have some side projects with um, community development department that gave me some idea of the approaches that can be used when you work with communities. So it was an interest early on, even though I, I did feel like I would sneak out without telling my engineering <laughs> anyone that I was <laughs> hanging out with the community development department. Although well, that was silly, I, I should have you know, made, it, made it clear and you know, develop a seminar series like you're doing on the combination between the two instead of being afraid that that could be seen as a, as a negative or not you know, lack of commitment to, to engineering. Um, so if you have this interest and interest, multidisciplinary interest, I, I encourage you to, you know, realize that you're not the only one. And if you see that need, probably there is a need there and bring it out and try to collect the tribe around it and see where it goes. Uh, trajectory. So uh, I'm not aiming to, to shift to uh, applied psychology. I couldn't do that. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe if I do another PhD, but uh, of course it takes a long time to get an experience in that field too. So 
my goal here is to interface and understand enough that I can do a better job on the quantitative side of things. And, and hopefully also, you know, go cross-pollinate with the other side so that they understand my, my part or the more quantitative um, risk assessment side of things. I think both are needed. Yeah, in some situations they have been, in the real world, they do have to talk to each other, but in research, they haven't that much. Consider a project that collects food samples and does a court study on epidemiology, or it's a more training-based, community-based. I think in international nutrition, you probably see more where people realize that behavior is um, key to an intervention, so it, it's more merged. So I, I think things overall are going in the same direction, in the right direction. So in terms of my trajectory and, and academia or, or not, uh, my interest is in, in research and applying rigorous methods and develop new knowledge for public health and food safety. So I'm fairly agnostic in terms of the type of organization, like being, I, I very much value education and I, I love working with students and I, I miss that right now. <laughs> uh, or, you know, I'm trying to do it on the side, but it's not my main focus. I don't really like classroom teaching, so I, Cannot say I miss that, but also probably because I'm not that good yet. So <laughs> um, maybe you know that could change. Uh, don't don't quote me on that. Maybe we'll edit this out because <laughs> in case I want to go back to teaching, <laughs> I don't want this to be on the public record. But it is yeah, teaching is a tough job, especially now. So I think I, for now at least I decided to focus on research, and I was looking at positions that uh, were compatible with, with that. Um. So we just have a few more questions for you. One of which is, what is the worst part about your job? Can be something trivial, like too many emails, or maybe something like you said, you don't get to do like teaching um, that you would want to do. Yeah, so worst and best part. Um, it's actually an easy answer for me. Uh, and it's, you know, tongue in cheek, but it's the 7 a.m. meetings. I'm a night person. <laughs> the 7 a.m. meetings are really hard. You get used to it. Um, you know, we work with Bangladesh and people that are way ahead of us in terms of time zone. So it's great that we, we can do that. Yeah, you just adjust to it and, and it's fine. Um, I think right now, I think I, it's a great position. So um, it's always a, a double a coin with two faces, right? The, the good things can also be the challenges. Uh, for example, in this program, we have a lot of leeway in terms of designing an intervention within the program. Uh, usually you have to set it up at the time you get the proposal. And um, so it's, it's a luxury to be in the situation where you can use information collected in the project to design an intervention and then evaluate it. And uh, the flip side of that is that there's a lot of uncertainty and, and designing that happens as you go. So you have to be okay with that level of uncertainty and be able to, to pivot really quickly. So this is also one of the best parts, I think. Uh, others, I, I love working with really smart people that are both scientifically sharp and know, know their literature, know their methods, and are word savvy. They have been in the field. They understand what it takes to set up a project in Nigeria. And that combination, they understand also the both the research side and the real world, um, like working with the food industry, for example, working with small and, and medium business enterprises. 
so that real world component that is needed to really get traction. Yeah, well, that, that was that was very good. Um, but uh, so we're running uh, out of time, and okay. uh, to to what, sort of like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're almost we're like a few two couple of minutes uh, to the end of the podcast. So I I wanted to as a bit of a wrap up, I just wanted to go back to maybe get a bit of advice advice or a word yeah. of wisdom from you uh, for graduate students and young professionals, um, you know, that you would like to share. Yeah, um, that is such a long conversation. So <laughs> I, first I want to say that I'm very happy to continue the conversation if anyone, anyone wants to reach out individually at me or have it, another informal section, session. I'm very happy to um, come back. Um, so I'm looking at, so looking at this as once it's advice that I'm still trying to implement. So advice that I also give myself <laughs> and something that I would love to have known during my PhD. For me, in terms of skills, I see a lot of power in the combination of um, data, working with data, statistics, uh, really be able to crunch numbers, uh, especially if people like combination of behavioral and sociology with knowing how to work with data is super powerful. Um, I guess engineers get it a little bit more by default, right? Uh, and then writing, uh, writing well is across the board one of the most important skills ever. Uh, and learning to be efficient, I think that goes a long way in just being able to work with time. <laughs> and, um, and as that, I would say, um, being able to have establish good boundaries for yourself between life and work and also time management at work, which time management, I guess it's an obsolete term, but <laughs> I think having I leave it at that because you know we don't have time to dig into it. But work work with boundaries, look up boundaries, and people that work around that, and uh, it's bound to be useful. Uh, graduate school in the U.S. tends to be something where like they drag you in 100%, and then you know you're supposed to do everything. And uh, the risk of burnout is real, both in school and after. And I've, I've dealt with that. So also prioritizing things. Um, focusing on what is important is good. Uh, another is um, ask for what you need. Don't, don't be um, in the mentality of um, I need to prove myself. I need to prove that I, I can do it all, all by myself. But if you know that you need something to succeed, yeah, ask for it or um, discuss options at least so that you can get to you know something that works and, and more collaboration. And, and last but not least, uh, foster relationships with your colleagues, with your mentors, collaborators, external. Um, you know, people are people and relationships are relationships, no matter if they're professional or friends. And of course, they're different. But um, I think uh, I, I, in school, I was some, at times like very focused on my thing, <laughs> right? I need to write this and I'm not talking to anybody until it's finished. And that big mistake, once because yeah, you need people. Uh, and, and two, those are pressure. I think collaboration, not competition. Um, the, this project that you're having, or doing a podcast with, with your peeps uh, and, and other uh, efforts uh, are very important to, to get those connections and, and develop them. Well, thank you so much for the great conversation, Dr. Lambertini. I felt like I learned a lot and your advice was really insightful. And um, I hope you join us again. 
And for the listeners of this podcast, thank you and stay tuned for more insightful conversations with amazing researchers in international nutrition in our future episodes. Thanks for listening. Many thanks to Elena Kirki for audio edits and our theme music. Thank you. Thank you. And that's a wrap. <laughs>